Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents, 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen, and we are rocking and rolling with another episode this week. Remember, I got to catch up completely because we're already in August here as we're celebrating 30 years of 1992 at the movies. This week, we're doing another comedy, although this one I think is a bit stronger, and I think I'll get a better response uh, critically from everyone on this one, and that is My Cousin Vinny, starring Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, Ralph Macchio, and a whole assortment of nice character actors. Uh, this was a fun rewatch, and it's always a fun rewatch with this movie, so that's going to kick it off this week for 90s Films Turn 30. This is My Cousin Vinny. Enjoy the show. A funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. We need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. Oh, yeah, you blend. You graduated from law school six years ago. What have you been doing since? Studying for the bar. That's a lot of studying. What's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure. I just actually never seen a grit before. It's his first case. Now, they're not telling you to dress appropriately. You were serious about that? The way you handled that, Judge. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. It's their last chance. The two youths. Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? But with Vinny's style, I wore this ridiculous thing for you. And Vinny's girlfriend. We agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. My biological clock is ticking like this. And the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. They're dead meat. May I have permission to treat Ms. Vito as a hostile witness? Don't you think I'm hostile? Now wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiance. Well, that certainly explains the hostility. All right, here we go. So, last week I was a bit rusty, folks. It had been a while since I've done this spinoff show, so I was kind of just, I was so excited. I wanted to just put out an episode for you guys and just get the ball rolling with this as we're in the middle of, or kind of almost getting into the middle of August, and I'm barely starting on this thing. So, I was a bit rusty, forgot to explain to y'all how really the rules of this show work, and it's not really so much like anything gigantic, I'm not doing like a deep dive on these movies, it's more just for like the memories and what I remember about them, and stuff that I liked about them, stuff that I maybe didn't like about it, um, has the movie aged in the 30 years since it's been released, I think it's a good time frame to really gauge whether a movie has, you know, just earned its lineage in film history or if it's one of those that's just a product of its time um you know recasting possibilities if you did this movie in the present day and whether or not it'd be a theatrical or a streaming release right because that's the thing now is like does this thing get put straight on a streamer or does it get backed by studios and get the marketing and get the full-on theatrical experience that's really what this show is about as as well as looking into like box office numbers a little bit the critical receptions 
all that thing. It's just all these different sorts of things to just reminisce on the movie itself. So with that in mind, one of the first things that I like to do on this show is what are the memories? What are my first memories of my cousin Vinny? So I kind of lied on last week's episode. I think I mentioned, and it's weird because like, you know, my memory has just been so weird as I keep getting older. And I'm sure that's all of us, right? But for me, like I have very vague memories of like my childhood. And, you know, of course I remember like the big things, but like just the little details, like something as simple as going to the movies, I may not remember. Now I mentioned that probably like in the mid nineties, like and on is when I remember going to the movies, but having recalled or you know i've rewatched this movie over and over but during my rewatch this time around i was like triggered by a memory i was like you know what i did see this movie in a theater the only uh question i have is whether i saw it here in my home state or whether i saw it uh whenever we would go with family on vacation to florida and that's usually where we would go to we'd go visit our aunts and uncles who lived up there and I, I want to say it was in Florida because, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the theaters that we had growing up in Laredo, Texas, which was very few. So it was either like at the mall or like as the 90s came uh, come up in like the mid 90s and on, you'd have like we have our two other theaters that they built. But mainly it was like the one at the mall or downtown, if you remember that one. So I want to say it was probably Florida. I just don't remember who it was that went to go see the movie, but I do definitely remember seeing it in a theater. And uh, <laughs> and I was a kid growing up in the 90s, so maybe I wasn't allowed to go into a rated R movie, but uh, adults were able to make it happen. So it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, those are my first memories of the movie. So, yes, finally I can, I, I've done a movie on here that I can safely say that I saw in a movie theater in my childhood and didn't like rewatch it at home or discover it through there. Although this is a perfect like rewatchable movie on cable, but you rarely see movies like these on cable anymore. So, you know, that, that sucks because I would love for this movie to continue to get discovered. And, you know, that's why I like talking about all these different types of movies. And I like, you know, I work at a movie theater, so I like talking to the younger kids and, trying to expose them to different types of movies because they're they're used to like one certain type of film that gets released and the ones that get the most attention to and there's like a whole variety and a whole library of so many different things so my cousin Vinny is definitely one of those movies that would hopefully as it continues to as we continue to move on and you know we we move into like 40 years away from when it was released that it still gets somewhat talked about and revisited um and hey, folks, it's got Marissa Tomei for those of you youngins. Like she played Aunt May in the the, the newer Spider-Mans with Tom Holland. So you got your little gateway there into that movie. So here we go. This is the synopsis for My Cousin Vinny, which is given to us by BoxOfficeMojo.com, which is powered by IMDb Pro. This is what I'm going to be looking at when I look at all the box office numbers and, and, and all this stuff, cast and all that stuff. I, I always use IMDb when I'm looking at movies and I'm wondering like, who is that in that movie? Like when you're not familiar, like the person's name is at the tip of your tongue. And until you look at that IMDb cast list, then you're like, ah, oh, yes, of course it's this person. So it's perfect usage. I, I use it all the time and I definitely suggest for you to download the IMDb app and use it as a tool whenever you're rewatching movies or even on the new stuff, you know, you're like, you're trying to discover uh what other movies this certain actor has done so it's it's really good all around so i highly recommend it 
So here's a synopsis from BoxOfficeMojo.com, and let's see if I agree with it. Two New Yorkers accused of murder in rural Alabama while on their way back to college call in the help of one of their cousins, a loudmouth lawyer with no trial experience. Now, the movie's a pretty basic setup. Like, the whole thing is super simple, just in scope. And I think that's a, it's a perfect synopsis of what the movie is, but really it, it's a, it's a character driven movie and that's what makes it fly. Um, along with the very witty and sharp script. So I definitely agree with the synopsis if I'm trying to sell it to somebody. But of course you, you want to put the, it's really like a fish out of water story, right? Cause you got two like very Brooklyn-esque, New Yorkish type characters that come all the way down to the south. And they're just completely out of their element. So it, it's a perfect fish out of water story. So, and a lot of the gags work in this movie because of that. So, um, let's get into uh, a couple of the technical things like the box office. Let's get into the numbers of everything. So, My Cousin Vinny opened on March 13th, 1992. And this movie opened up to $7.4 million at the box office. It wasn't number one. It was number two that weekend, but guess which movie it lost out to? Lost out to Wayne's World, which is another classic comedy from 1992, which, spoilers, I'm going to be revisiting in this series. I've got a special guest lined up for that episode, so stay tuned. Don't know when it's going to drop, but it will be in this season for 1992. So, you know, not a big deal there to lose out to Wayne's World. You know, that was one of the most breakout comedies of the 90s. You know, certainly turned Mike Myers and... And Dana Carvey into superstars at that time, you know, coming off of SNL, but coming right behind it at my at number two, it's not bad. But also, like, we also have to look at this in terms of history. Like, I'm sure you young kids, if you're listening to this episode, you're like seven million. That's like nothing. And you know, while it's not the most either, you got to think about it in terms of 1992. Really, like the whole box office phenomenon really didn't get huge until like movies like you know Jurassic Park came out and then later the mummy and then you know Spider-Man changed the game in 2002 then we really started to get into like movies just making just gigantic amounts of money and you look at like the old movies like you know Jaws and Star Wars and and all that I mean they opened pretty big for their time but those movies had long legs where people would go and watch those movies over and over and over and over and it would accumulate and then the box office just would look huge. But nowadays it's like movies, we look to see how a movie opens, right? Because we want to see how, every, how much people go and see it opening weekend. But sometimes movie back in the 90s, they legged out. So while $7 million doesn't look impressive opening weekend – Especially coming off a budget of 11, if you think about it in context, that's actually a big success. So 11 million as a budget, and you already make 7 million of that opening weekend, that's pretty good. So this movie goes on to gross about 53 million domestic, and then internationally, it grosses another 11 million for a total worldwide gross of 64 million. So, um, I look at the domestic gross more than the overall worldwide, which 64 looks better than 52. But you're talking about a comedy, right? This isn't some big budget, uh, you know, it's not Star Wars, it's not, you know, just anything like that. Rambo, whatever, where you have a bu big bu budget for action and all that. It it's a comedy movie, and most of the movie is set in a courtroom, so I'm sure a lot of that was easy to film, very cheap. Um, I mean, it's a Hollywood movie, don't get me wrong, but you know what I mean. Like, I'm sure... 
there wasn't so much money thrown at the wall to create sets for this movie because it, it is set in the south, so there's a lot of very, you know, it's set in a small town in Alabama, so there's a lot of parts in this movie where a lot of the stuff looks run down, maybe not the best, but that's also kind of the point and why it makes these characters, uh, Pesci and Tomei like stick out like sore thumbs as, as you hear there in the trailer. Um, that's the whole point. It's not supposed to look fancy and all, you know, just the aesthetic is not supposed to be big. So yeah, most of the, most of the budget probably went to, you know, Payne Pesci and, you know, Ralph Macchio's also in this movie, uh, who's famous for the Karate Kid. So, and he hadn't really done anything since that. So, you know, not that he was a big name, but I'm sure they had to pay him a good amount to take a little supporting role in this movie. So, yeah. So overall, to me, this is a big box office success. Seven million. And then throughout the weeks, it, it grows and, and ends, ends up making over 52 million domestically. That's pretty good for a comedy, at least back in the day. You know, these days, fifty-two million is nothing, and I'm sure as and as I talk about this later on at the end of the episode, I'm sure this movie wouldn't even see the light of day in a movie theater anymore. But those are the box office numbers. Again, wasn't number one opening weekend, no big deal. But you know, it outdid its budget probably by the second weekend, and then it it had legs, so it lasted for a while. Um. Let's talk about the the critical aspect of this movie, My Cousin Vinny. So what I look for here and what I turn to, uh, I want to get the opinions of Siskel and Ebert. Now, those were two critics who are very formidable in the 90s. You know, you see, you would see them all over the posters. If the movie was uh, two thumbs up or like strongly rated, you would see that their markings on, you know, commercials, TV spots, everything just to get you hyped and to get people to go see the movies. So even like when you would go to Blockbuster, right? You want to rent a movie. As you're checking out the like the VHS cover box, you want to see like the little reviews on there. And and Siskel and Ebert were very prominent in that. If it was if it was highly recommended, their names would be on the front cover. Like that's how big they are. Nowadays everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a blog. Everybody's got a podcast on movies. So it's not a big de- deal now. It's not special. But back in the nineties you know, late eighties, they, they were the staples, um, you know, rest in peace to both of them. They're no longer around, but they were always the go-to and, you know, I value their opinions because they go really into it onto whether they liked the movie or just flat out saying it's sucked or, you know, even, even if like, let's say they didn't like it, you know, they'll find things that they did like about the movie. And, you know, you look at bloggers today and all that stuff. And when they don't like a movie, like they'll just, find it some way in their narrative to just beat the crap out of the movie instead of like finding out like why it didn't work or here's what they could have done and just even in any movie that you see very rarely though you can find something that you'll like about it you know i just saw bullet train this past week with brad pitt now overall i didn't like the movie but there's a couple of things about it that i liked in it and that's okay like you're not gonna like every single movie but I'm sure you can find one or a few things that you, that you'll like about it. And you know, you don't have to deeply trash a movie. And I feel like that's where a lot of the bad reviews that come out, like from bloggers and podcasters these days, like it's when they don't like it, like they just go in on it. And when it's like the greatest thing ever, like they'll just hype it up more than they need to. You know, you got to find that fair balance. And I love watching Cisco and Eber because they give you that fair balance. So they were split on this one, which I was shocked. I was really, um, looking for them to have 
two thumbs up from both of them because I, to me, this is one of the strongest comedies ever. And, you know, the performances are really good. The script is really good. And my opinions of that are reflected through Gene Siskel. You know, he credits the script for being sharply funny, which I highly agree. He says the characters are what make the movie absolutely right because you have to have good actors to play these characters or if not, the movie's not going to pop. And the whole thing about it is Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei steal the movie. If they don't work in the movie, then it doesn't work at all. Um, Ebert didn't like the movie, but for different reasons and reasons that I'll probably disagree with him, even though I don't knock him for it because it's his opinion, art is subjective. But the reasons why he didn't like My Cousin Vinny were, A, he wanted uh, more focus on the Machio story, which is kind of the basis for what this movie starts off on, but it's not really what it's about. So I think he kind of misses the mark there. I think if the movie tries to dive into that aspect of it, I think then it becomes a little bit more dramatic. But the thing is, this is a comedy. So yes, a lot of the stuff is kind of like side step to the side. You know, in favor of the comedy bits, but that's okay because that's what we're looking for here, right? We're looking to laugh, and uh, while still like there's little moments in the movie where it gets kind of serious, but not too much to the point where like is this a drama or is this a comedy? Like, no, it's a straight up comedy. Like that, the movie does not shy away from what it is. It's a straight up comedy. So I disagree with him on that, and I think he wanted more focus on the case as opposed to characters. But here's the thing, folks. In a comedy, you're just looking for it to be funny, right? You're not really looking so much for, you know, plot structure and for stuff to make sense. Like, the point of a comedy is to make you laugh. And I think if it does that, I think that should be enough for you to consider it like a, a good comedy movie. So, you know, again, artist is subjective. I appreciate it whenever Ebert gives a negative review because he'll still find ways to still give it praise because he said he 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 you know just cheered and, and roared in laughter so there there's move there's part of the movie that he did really like and it was that aspect it was just those little things that i guess he couldn't fully recommend but again i disagree with him but again i don't fault him for for having his opinions because he at least thinks about it as opposed to just saying ah this sucked so they were split on that so i was shocked and now let's look at the other thing that i look at on this show and that is rotten tomatoes now, again, always be your own judge, be your own critic. Um, you know, I, I'm never swayed by movie critics. And these days, we get movies and reviews like far ahead of its release. And you can read those and you can take them as they are. Or you can just, you know, ignore them and just, you know, just be mindful and just have your own thoughts and opinions. So, like, sometimes I'll read reviews of movies that haven't come out. And they don't sway me a bit because... Only I know how I'm going to experience the movie. I'm not going to let somebody's, you know, pre-thoughts enter my mind and get clouded by that. So I'm never swayed by that. But I like to look at just to see how the critics are looking at it and how the audience is looking at it. So My Cousin Vitty sits at an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's out of 60 reviews, right? Like today it'd be like 160 reviews. Well, who knows, right? Because it'd be on streaming. So it'd just be a piece of content. And I don't know how many people would actually see it. But out of 60 reviews back in the day in the 90s, that's a, a considerable amount. And I'm sure you got all like the, the big newspapers in there. Of course, Cisco and Ebert and all that stuff. So 87%, that's uh, certified fresh in their website. So that's considered like a highly strong review. It's almost close to an A. And then with the audience, out of 100,000 plus ratings, it also sits at an 87%. 
So this is one of those rare trifectas where, yes, it didn't make like over a hundred million dollars, but for a comedy that's pretty, pretty, pretty good considering it opened small. Um, so it got the box office reviews or the box office like lure right there, about 50, 60 million, depending on how you look at it. It got the critical reception, 87%, and then the audience loved it. So a trifecta there. So to me, this movie stands out as one of the best comedies of the 90s. Also, just one of the funniest movies ever. So, um, let's get into the things that I loved about this movie. And how can we start off any other way than Marissa Tomei? I mean, my goodness, can you talk about a more, this is the best female comedic performance I think I've ever seen. Like, there has, I'm sure there's some that are close to it, but my gosh, like this character of Mona Lisa Vito, played by Marissa Tomei, is just one of the best characters ever written. The way it's played, everything about it is flawless. She is so gorgeous and sexy. And that's that she's aged even better now. This movie was made 30 years ago, and she still looks amazing today. So credit to her. Uh, I don't know if she's married, but, man, lucky to the guy who married her. She's amazing in this movie. Um, I guess if, if I could name, like, top five favorite actresses, she has to be on there for sure. You know, I, let's see if I can name off the top of my head. Like, you know, Anne Hathaway, Natalie Portman, Julia Roberts. Yes, Marissa Tomei's on there. So definitely one of my top five favorite actresses. And this performance is just so perfect. She nails every line. Uh, the accent, her Brooklyn-ish just shows out here. She's just so undeniable. She's charming. She plays the, this fish out of water perfectly. You know, she's goofy, but she's also like not a fool. She's very knowledgeable. Because her knowledge comes to play at the end of this movie. Uh, she's very knowledgeable on the mechanics of automobiles. So she's so awesome in this movie. I can't say enough good things about it. And of course, she wins the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress because of this movie. So I think just in terms of history and its place like in lineage of whether this movie has aged uh, well or not. Like you have to add, add it just because of her. That this movie's like, you know, trending that way. So uh, we'll talk about it towards the end. But, you know, her having that Oscar and her having that performance there to solidify it gives this movie an edge on it aging uh, 30 years later. So that's the first thing that I like about this movie. The second thing that I loved about this movie is for a comedy, a lot of comedies have gags. And sometimes they don't pay off right. Sometimes it's just like, well, what do you, you keep repeating the same joke, but there's no payoff. Um, in this movie, there are so many gags, and they all pay off. And some of them are super small, too. Like, you have to pay attention. Uh, the first one, of course, is the running gag of them sleeping at different hotels or little places or cabins in the woods or whatever. And the whole gag is that they can never get a full amount of sleep because something, a noise, an animal, something always disturbs the couple of Pesci and Tomei to the point where they're just like, they don't know how to react. You know, they've never been in the South. You know, I'm sure they're, and I don't know, it's weird because this movie never really says, you know, they mentioned that Tomei is like an out of work hairdresser. And of course, Pesci's a lawyer. I don't, they're not rich, obviously, right? Because you see the car that they drive in this movie. It's kind of like worn down, always muddy. And it looks like, you know, it, there's work that could be done on it. Um, but also like in the way they dress too, like, I don't know if it's just obviously for 
to show that they're completely out of their element. But their clothes don't look like make them look like they're poor either. You know, they look like they got some style and class being from the New York area, at least back in the early 90s. But I think it's kind of heightened to an nth degree just to really give them that, you know, they're really out of place here in this small town in Alabama. But yes, that gag is one of the many that works in this movie. Every time, you know, Pesci's great as like, you know, because he's kind of coming off of Goodfellas here. He won the Oscar for that. So he's playing not, he's not really a mafioso in this movie, but he's got like the, the, the look of it, right? You know, he dresses all black leather, you know, he's got the accent and all that, but he's a goof. So it's totally opposite of the character that he plays in Goodfellas. So again, Pesci is just on a crazy roll here in the nineties because he had Goodfellas. He had Home Alone. I think he had Home Alone 2 in this exact same year. I don't think we're covering it on this series. But, you know, he had those two back-to-back and Goodfellas. And then you add this movie to the mix. It's just so so much good Pesci in the early 90s that you can go back and explore. Um, so that's that's one of the gags, right? Another gag earlier is when they go into this diner and, <laughs> and they're, like, deciding on what to eat. And, you know, they look at the menu. And it's this really funny scene. And, you know... It's the way they react, these characters. The big thing in this movie is how characters react and how they respond to things. And that's what makes things funny. You know, it's the way that the, the characters decide to act on little things. So they look at this menu, right? And they're looking at it. They're looking like there's like a bunch of, the you know, just options. And Joe Pesci's like, what do you think, breakfast? Marissa Tomei's like, yep, breakfast. Like, let's have that. And literally that's all it says on the menu is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> You know, just little things like that, but they react so normally because they realize it's ridiculous, but they also are just, they're very, it just comes across very genuine. So they're, they're getting their breakfast made in front of them and they're introduced to grits, which because of this movie, I never knew what grits was until I saw this movie. So, and I'm still to this day, never had grits in my life. I know that's something I probably should put on my bucket list after have seen this movie, but still haven't. So. I'm sure there's somewhere that has it, and I'll eventually try it one day. But I'm not like in a rush to either. But because of this movie, I know what they ex- I know what they look like, and I know uh, just the whole overall look of it. So there's that gag, right? And you're wondering, like, why are they spending so much time showing Pesci, you know, what grits is, and you know, and how to make it, and all that stuff? Well, it pays off later in the movie when they're doing the whole trial thing, and they're having to correlate times on, you know, because again, Machio's character and his buddy, they're, I, I forgot if they're driving back to college or from college and they they drive through Alabama. They go to a store, they pick up stuff, they get pulled over by police and they think they're getting pulled over because they accidentally stole one of the canned tuna uh, fish goods, but actually they're getting picked up for murder. So that's what kicks off this whole thing, right? I should give you that in context, but you know, I kind of want you to, I want to let you all see the movie for yourselves. Um, so, yeah, so they're correlating times with uh, when they went into the gas station and all that stuff. So and, and the grits thing comes into play because one of the supposed witnesses that saw them leave the store said it was a, a matter of so minutes. But he's like, oh, well, you said you were cooking breakfast. What did you have? And because of his earlier interaction with the, the cook at the diner and telling him how long it, it takes to cook natural grits and the witness saying that he did cook his own grits in a natural way he was able to use that to his advantage so again tiny little gag but it pays off in the movie and it's just 
that's just smart screenwriting, right? When you can return to something and have it pay off. Those are the best. Like those are easy, like check marks for me as being awesome in movies. Um, the gag between the judge and Joe Pesci and their their relationship and their communication, right? Uh, especially one where he's the way, just simply the way he dresses in the courtroom. You know, Pesci dressing with the all black leather jacket and very just cool looking and not very lawyerish, even though he's kind of trying. You know, you, you see him there with a tie and nice shirt. And there's just this back and forth between him and the judge. It's kind of like a love you, hate you relationship. But it goes on throughout the movie and it just gets funnier and funnier until eventually at the end of it, you see Pesci finally in full form being in a, in a, you know, traditional suit, like being like a real lawyer. Like it's a nice progression throughout the movie that just, it pays off very well. And it's again, smart screenwriting, little things, little nuances they add in the story. Like, you know, it may not be the most detailed and yes, there's plot holes or whatever that you can pick at, but it's really a story about characters and well-written characters and funny characters, right? They're all, everybody's funny in this movie, right? It's not just Pesci and Tomei. It's everybody. Everybody's got their chance to shine in this movie. So that's what I love. The second thing that I love about this movie, the little gags that just pay off. And then third is just, you know, who, who doesn't love a good courtroom movie, right? And it's rare when you see these when it involves comedy. Now they have to be done right, you know, Courtrooms, you think serious, murders, all that stuff, you know. Few Good Men's another movie that's going to be coming up later this year, celebrating its 30 years. Spoilers, of course that's going to be on this show. I'm a huge Tom Cruise head. So yes, that's going to be on there. But that's a serious courtroom drama. This is supposed to be comedic. Like, there's no way they can make it work. And they do. Uh, I think another one that I can think of maybe is Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. That comes up later, I believe, in 97. Um, that's another one that, po- that we may possibly explore in this series. But I love a good courtroom scene filmed with just characters, people in the background. Like you see a lot of shots of Tomei watching and Ralph Macchio watching and, you know, just everybody all in one scene. And then, of course, you got your your judge and your jury and, the you know, the opposite lawyer, uh, Trotter. I forgot who the actor's name is. Great character actor. Uh, he's perfect in this movie. Uh, Bruce McGill as the sheriff. Just so many different, like, character actors in this movie. And they all have small little parts, but every, again, everybody has a chance to shine in this movie. So yes, the whole courtroom aspect of it, and also just runner-up for things that I like was, of course, I mean, the, the the undeniable chemistry of Pesci and and Tomei in terms of comedic. Now, in terms of like their love and kissing, like that's debatable. That's just me probably being jealous because Joe Pesci gets to kiss Marissa Tomei, but they're they're comedic jabs at each other, and you know, I would love to be. You know, I'm a single guy, but the way I envision a nice, like, healthy relationship, you know, you got to be able to dish it as well as take it. And these two are so good together when it comes to, like, jabbing at each other and roasting each other. And, you know, but it's back and forth, you know, they they each give and take. And and it's so great. And I think that's a perfect relationship. It has to have that balance as well as, of course, the, you know, the romance and all that stuff. But that, and you know, the the sensitivity and being there and supporting. They have a really nice moment in this movie together where I think it's about like a day or two before the trial is about to begin. And this is probably one of the only real serious parts about the movie and Pesci's sitting there and Tomei like comes up to him like, Hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And, and he's like, you know, like I, I, I'm not sure if I know what I got myself into. Like I, I'm really scared. 
and she does show that emotional support like you know like yeah it's gonna be scary but you know i think once you get in there and you start doing your little thing you know she she's very cute with her little brooklyn accent and all that stuff and she just gives them that emotional support and i think that there's just a healthy balance in this relationship as well as you know not having to take each other so seriously all the time being able to jab at each other it's just so great and to me that's like one of the most perfect relationships you know because it's not all perfect like yes there's times where they get mad at each other or whatever but there's that healthy balance of everything like i can make fun of you but you can also make fun of me and they don't take it personal and they just they the one of the awesome things about them is the way their faces react when they're getting jabbed at because even tomei like takes it from pesci in this movie and she's just like kind of like okay sucker like you got me now but i'm gonna get you later and there's also another great line in the movie where he has her on the stand and she he's like do i have permission to treat her as a hostile witness and she's like oh if you think i'm hostile right now just just wait till tonight like you know just the little jabs like that they're so fucking perfect together and that's probably why 90 percent of this movie works is because of them too because again you can have the sharp screenplay which it does but you have to have like the right actors to play these characters. And I think Tomei, like if you had to redo the Academy Award, like there's no way you still don't give it to her. Like she's that good in the movie. And for a comedy, like that's also rare. So you have to take these special performances and, and reward them when they do come along. So I'm glad she got the Oscar. Does it take away from it that she doesn't if she doesn't have it? Absolutely not. It's still a perfect comedic performance. But the fact that it has the Oscar hanging over it, like it just makes it even more legendary. So there's that. So those are my things that I loved about My Cousin Vinny. Again, they're not always going to sync up when I do these movies as I'm rewatching them and adding them as episodes here for this spinoff series. There may be things about certain movies that I don't like, but I just for this one, there's just everything that I absolutely loved about this movie. There's, there's nothing that I didn't like. Uh, it's almost a perfect comedy. You know, could I nitpick it more? I'm sure. But every time I watch this movie or any time it's on, I don't ever not laugh. You know, when, whenever I watch it with family members, especially my dad, we still laugh at the same parts. Like, and that's how you know you have a good comedy is like, doesn't matter how many times you hear the jokes, like they still land. So yes. And now let's talk about, let's talk about recasting a little bit for, for 2022. Now, this is really tough because, especially in comedy, right? Because not everybody works in a comedy. Like, it, it takes takes a certain skill. Like, Pesci's good at playing, like, the very unhinged character, like a Goodfellas or a Casino. But then he's also can take, like, very comedic, hilarious turns, like Home Alone. And I only mention those movies because they were part of this series. So, just to kind of keep some continuity going on. But, you know, then you look at something like The Irishman where he's very more subdued and very calm and just just a different Pesci that you're not really used to seeing. But he can dial it up so many ways. Um, but when he goes comedic, man, can he ham it up. And But he's also good at bullshitting uh, or at least appear to be bullshitting. And he does a lot of that in this movie. But he plays it off so well that it doesn't feel forced or faked. Like it just looks so genuine. And I think that's why Pesci was perfect for this role. And not only that, because he's just funny as shit. Um, but trying to recast this in 2021, or 2022, sorry. Um, definitely, I would love to see the character, you know, you cannot top Marissa Tomei. You just can't. Like, there's just no way. But who, I think, could attempt to try to, like, just 
be a little bit more out there and just be very poppy with it. Because I'd love to see Anne Hathaway do it. Like, yeah, she's she's only because I know she has that energy to do it. So would it be better than Tomei's? Probably not. Like, you know, you're you're asking, you know, again that that character and that performance is just such perfection. But could I get enjoyment out of someone like Anne Hathaway attempting, maybe not to do exactly that, but can do like a version or a spin on it? I would trust her a hundred percent to do it. Now, as far as doing the the role of Vincent Laguardia Gambini, that one's a little bit tougher. You know, you you look at uh, today's comics, like you know, you know, I think you know Jason Bateman could easily pull this off, but I don't, I don't know if he would fit this kind of comedy because you also kind of have to do a little bit physical comedy. It, it's just very tough. I mean, really, when I was looking at this thing, I was really looking at just Tomei because how do you how do you recast that? But how do you how do you attempt right and just put somebody else in that spot and see what they can do with it? So Hathaway is the one I really just sunk my teeth into into like just want to see her play that type of character. Now, obviously, you could do a serious type with that character, which ended up being what Lady Gaga does in House of Gucci. If you haven't seen that movie, check it out. She's She's good in it, but it's also a little over the top, kind of like this character. And you would think, like, wow, is that a is that a comedy? But it's not. That was a serious movie. But uh, that that was a kind of take on that character. But I, I would like to see Hathaway in this role. Um, but again, the, Vinny, I don't know. I just really don't know. I would I would have to chew on that some more, and I didn't really like want to dive into that because it's just I don't know. It's just such a who could play that? I really don't know who could play that. Maybe the audience. Maybe you all could tell me, you know, whenever I release this episode, you could tell me who do you think would be good in the role of Vinny. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anybody right now. And I couldn't, just even upon rewatch and, and just pondering on it, I just couldn't come up with anybody. Obviously, you can put other people in the character roles, you know, and all that stuff. So. You know, you can even put Tom Holland in the Machio role, whatever. It could be really anybody. Like, you know, no offense to Machio and, and, uh, forgot who the other guy is. He's, he plays, uh, Barry on Friends. Um, that's Rachel's ex from, like, the first couple of seasons. Um, yeah, you could really put anybody in those roles, but, and I think they would thrive just because of the script. But the ones where you really need to pop are the Tomei and Pesci characters, which I think Hathaway, Hathaway could bring, a a respectable performance not better but just respectable to where it's like oh, okay that was interesting not as good but entertaining um but Vinny, i'm just so stuck on on who i would cast and help me out with that that's the beauty of this show is we can have these conversations and you can let me know who do you think would be uh good to be recasted in 2022 in the role of Vinny, the title character um next on let's move on from that so does this movie get a theatrical release or is it on streaming in 2022? Now, we all know what the trend is now, right? We don't really see comedies on the big screen anymore. We don't see romantic comedies, anything like that. Those are really relegated to the Netflix, to the Amazons, uh, Apple TV, you know, HBO Max, you name it. Like, they're probably, you're probably going to find it on there. And I'm sure there's good ones out there, but. You know that it won't be marketed as well, and it'll just be a piece of content on the on that you can you know scroll through when you're looking for something to watch. 
And that's going to suck for a lot of these comedies and, and romantic comedies that get stuck on there. Like, they're really just going to get lost. Like, yes, you have people that watch them, but you also, like, have a lot of people that are just in them, right? Like, they don't really get name people in these movies. That's why I always think, like, stars still do matter. And that's why I love the 90s so much is because you see a movie like this and you see Joe Pesci's name attached to it. Oh, it's a comedy. He plays a lawyer. Oh, there's no way it can't not be funny. So you have to look at movies like that. And that's why I think I would love for these movies to to get a release back onto the theaters but attach names to them, you know? We have to try to build movie stars again because it can't just be about the brands. It's got to be about the movie stars and the performances. That's what makes majority of movies. It's like, what's the new Denzel Washington movie out this week? Or Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or whatever. Like, that's a big chunk of it. You know, the trailer even says, Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. Like, that's that used to the, that's the way it used to be all the time. And now it's just like, it's brand over actor. And I really wish... We could go back a bit. Like, you know, I like we, we it's okay to go ahead in the times with technology and all that stuff, but it's okay to go back every once in a while and, and go to what works. Like Top Gun Maverick, a movie that was, you know, made very practically and it looked fresh in the audience's mind because we're all so used to like the advanced technology and the CGI and all that stuff. And here comes along Top Gun Maverick. And one of the reasons why it did so well is because like, wow, they did all the shit for real, all the flying in the air for real. Like it was a breath of fresh air and it's so old school filmmaking. Like it's not done like that anymore. So I think that could work with comedy and romantic comedies, like get, you know, well-named movie stars into the mix even though like they're starting to fade away but if we can build people up and get these movies back in the theaters i think people will go see them so you know we have one coming up in october later this year with uh julia roberts and george clooney like you know those are two big names but we'll see if audiences care enough to come back to the theater to to see a movie like that a comedy a romantic comedy whatever you however you want to spin it so i think it would do well if this same movie came out in 2022, I think it would do well. But would it get the opportunity? Would it get the marketing behind it? Uh, this is released by 20th Century Fox. Would they back it up to release it to 3,000 theaters across the U.S.? I don't know. I just really don't know. I mean, it, it's 11 million budget is not a lot, but I'm sure a movie like this now would cost like maybe 20, 25 million. You know, just give or take. Just uh, you know, based on. You know, just the way movies are handed budgets these days, I'm sure it would be higher. I don't know. We're we're still in interesting times, and you know, again, I'm glad that all these movies exist and they came out when they did um, in 1992 and on. So, yeah. Um, but to answer the question, unfortunately, in 2022, it would be a streamer, and it's a shame. And lastly, has this movie aged? In the 30 years since it's been released, I'm going to say yes. And it's because of the, one of the reasons I stated earlier, you know, Tomei's got that Oscar winning performance and that hangs over this movie incredibly because her entire, you know, her, just her fingerprints are all over this movie. Like she's a supporting character, but she's in pretty much the entire movie. So, you know, there's no shine away from that. It's not like, you know, she has like a couple of scenes and then stands out and all of them. Like, no, she's in, she's in a majority of this movie. She's on the damn freaking poster. So she's important to this movie. But not only that, like the entire movie is funny. The script is good. The players are good. All the actors are incredible. Um, simple story, simple setup, running gags that pay off. 
There's just nothing about this movie that could turn you away. Like, I would have a movie night, and this would be one of the comedies I would suggest to watch. Like, I think it's that good. I think it would play well if you if you put it in front of an audience today. Um, you know, there's some stuff that maybe has an age in terms of, like, you know, how you portray the South, or maybe it has, I don't know, it's, that's a divisive thing, but whatever. Don't want to get into that. I'm sure there's some people who be like, well, that's not how it really is in Alabama or whatever, and, uh, but, you know, whatever. I'm not here to talk about that, but I'm just saying, like, in today's climate, people would find stuff to find offensive about this movie. But overall, I think it's charming, it's, it's witty, it's, uh, it's cute, you know, especially with Tomei and Pesci together. Just, just movies, uh, a total thumbs up in terms of aging well in the 30 years that it's been released. And, uh, other than, you know, technology and stuff, like the movie, the movie still plays. Like it's, it's a simple story of, uh, you know, family and loyalty, but also like, you know, being there for your partner and, you know, and all that support and, you know, just trying to make something of yourself in this world. And that's what Pesci does in this movie and, and becoming a lawyer as he goes, which is, I mean, it's not traditionally how it goes, but in a comedy that works. And I think that's going to do it. I think I covered everything that I wanted to with this movie. Uh, wow. 30 years. Unbelievable. But, and I can't believe that I remember they saw it in the theater. That's, that's, that's the, that's the fun part. So glad I got to catch it. And, and contribute to its box office success or mom and dad, whoever paid that day. Um, yeah, that's going to do it. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what the next movie is going to be. Again, I don't want to hype up something and, that, and then it'd be another movie down the line that's next. So I'll just say there is going to be another episode coming up and I'll be trying to push as much of these episodes out as quickly as possible so I can catch them on their anniversary dates. Um, there's a lot of good ones that are going to come up in the second half of, of, of 1992, right? Cause some of these, like my cousin Vinny, that's a March release, right? We're already in August. So I'm way behind. So, but I'm, I'm catching up as I go. And again, I've got certain guests lined up for certain episodes. Like I mentioned Wayne's world during the beginning of this, that movie actually came out in February. So we've actually passed the anniversary date, but I got somebody in mind for that episode. So stay tuned for that. But you can follow this podcast as along with all my other podcast shows on Spotify. Search Palace Off the Top Rope. Hit that follow button. I do share this podcast link through my social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter through Podbean.com. You can download the app and listen on Podbean. Or if you're an Apple person, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave me that five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. Answer whether or not you who you would cast as uh Vinny in this movie in 2022 because i couldn't figure that out you know and that's the first for me i got stumped you know and it's gonna happen every once in a while i'm not perfect but anyways thank you all for joining me today i greatly appreciate it uh go rewatch my cousin Vinny if if you haven't yet before listening to this pod you know or or watch it before and then watch it after it's just a great super rewatch again i can see it any time of day and it always lifts my spirits and gives me a good laugh But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Take it easy, guys. Rambo, the Terminator, Vinny, LaGuardia Gambini. What kind of law do you practice? Well, up till now, personal injury. I think we should meet with the public defender. The prosecution's case is circumstantial. Fry him. Joe Pesci. In the funniest comedy of the year. I'm enjoying myself so far. My Cousin Vinny.